0: Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I am joined by fellow podcaster, Tim Mitra. Hey, Tim, how are you doing?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: This is the second time I've had you on a podcast. I think it's been like two years since I met you at Toronto Swift, Swift Toronto. Then I had you on my other podcast the formerly OK Productive, okay. which was awesome. And I'll have a link to that. So glad to have you on again, I guess. But now talking more shop stuff with uh, Swift. So what have you been playing around with lately?
1: Lately, it's been a lot of Swift UI and, and Core Data. I've got a couple of app ideas that I've been playing with. So got into looking at CloudKit with Core Data, which is super simple. So I'm making an app for my wife, uh, something she's wanted me to do for a number of years. So it's like, uh, you know, it's just basically a a record-keeping app for her side project. And um, so using uh, CloudKit, I can sync the the core data database. So she picks it up from her, her Mac or her iPad or her phone. It's the same. She'll see the same data, same records, right?
0: Could you get into details as far as what records you're keeping?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, she's she does uh, costumes for the ballet, for uh, Mississauga Ballet here, like, you know, kid costumes and stuff like that. So she has, like, they might be, like, a 20, 20 dancers or 12 dancers in a, in a group, different ages, different sizes, that kind of stuff. And so they'll have theme costumes. So she keeps track of that stuff and, and like, in an inventory at a warehouse. And uh, so she needs to know, she puts everything into, like, Rubbermaid bins or whatever, so she needs to know what goes in those bins, right? So, we we're thinking like maybe we'll have like a barcode of some type that they could just scan the the bin and, you know, keep track of what goes in what, what bin and that kind of thing. Right. So it's so it's basically an inventory, if you will. Right. And this kind of thing could be used for any number of, of things, not just costumes for ballet, but, um, gotcha. you know, another app that I did back in 2010 is called device tracker. And it's exactly came out of my, you know, managed services, it guy kind of work where, you know, you want to keep track of what equipment you have and, yeah, you know, how much RAM's inside? What kind of hard drive? What serial number? You know, things like Apple Care warranty, that kind of stuff. So I built a, a database to do that. And when the iPad came along, I, I we transitioned that over to iPad, and we built that with Core Data as well. So
0: what was the original app built in, if you mind me asking?
1: Oh, it was originally a PHP app. It was PHP, my Oh, okay. Yeah, it was on. It was all done, you know, on the web and with a browser and stuff like that. And
0: yeah. So what have you found as far as like? core data hooking up core data and cloud kit. Is that as easy as you thought it was?
1: Uh it's easier than I thought it would be. Okay. Yeah. So I guess around uh 2019 a few years ago, 2018, 2019, they added an NS persistent cloud kit coordinator thing okay don't quote me on that that may be the wrong name but um (laughs) uh, but they well in core data they add is ns ns persistent controller which which basically i don't know what you know about core data specifically but it has a persistent store obviously it's it's an object graph um, representation of data it's not not necessarily a database specifically right it is backed locally on on the device by an sql database like you know so you can query the sql to see what's inside your your records and stuff like that, and um, it basically creates you can create relationships between you know objects in your database, right? And you can have different you know umpteen times umpteen different types of data. So you can have like UUIDs, and you can have which you know fits nicely into Swift and Combine. You can have or Swift UI and Combine, I should say, and um, you can have uh, you know dates and times and and you know strings and date. I think I said date already. So, you can store any number of things you can store images inside in, in a binary format, or you can just store a path to the to the image on the device, which is what I initially started doing because we didn 't have tons of space on our devices back in the early days, right so I want to be more svelte about that more reasonable and uh so so all that 's managed, you know and you have a managed object context that you you call you use and and listen to a little bit of what Aaron was saying on on your last podcast uh, or previous podcast. You know, you have you use predicates to pull things out of the database and sort them and whatever. Yeah, to
0: right? filter stuff and select things and things like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So when they added C- CloudKit around 2016, I want to say, don't quote me on that again, but uh, they added CloudKit as a, as a sort of web database. And CloudKit talks to iCloud, like specifically, right? So... Right. And Apple added in the ability to... They've added, uh, I think last year or two years ago, they added a, a web interface to CloudKit, right? So... So you can go look at your cloud storage and you look at records and, and the way they translate, like in, in, you have objects inside of core data, but you have, and, and you have like a, I figure what to call it now. Um, schema. Well, schema is what they have on, on the, uh, the cloud kit side. So a CK right. record, but then you have
0: like data entries that you add.
1: Yeah. So a CK record is what's stored in cloud kit and, and it's a different right. kind of thing in, in, I'm drawing a blank on all the names right now, but um so, what this NIS persistent cloud kit can, uh, coordinator does, if that's the name of it, it will automatically translate from the cloud kit structure—sorry, from the core data structure into the into the cloud kit records, right? Or CK mm-hmm. records, they call them. And nice thing about that too is is uh, it built into that, or easy enough to do. You can subscribe to the cloud kit. There's, an, there's a CK subscription database object or yep. something like that. And then whenever you make a change on the data on CloudKit, you can subscribe and get a notification that the data has changed. And you're so presto change you'll make a change on my iPad and it appears on my iPhone or my Mac yeah. or whatever, right? So that, I mean, and that is like, it's incredibly simple to do that. I mean, core data, I mean, what I like about core data, a lot, I know it takes a lot of bashing from people, but it's it's a pretty, like, you know, if you've ever written any kind of crud stuff, like, you know, like, create, read, update, delete from on any kind of like MySQL or Postgres or whatever, you know that you have to you have to create all those sort of, um, you create the, you know, the setters and the getters, if you want to call it that, right? You have to create all that kind of stuff and you have to manage all that kind of stuff. And what's nice about core data is it handles a lot of that sort of heavy lifting for you, right? It does all that sort of stuff that you normally have to write in a CRUD flow to to for like automatically right so almost automatically seamlessly really right i think the challenge is for people in terms of maybe just a bit of a learning curve and sort of understanding that you don't touch core data it just, you just you just call the save you, just, you do a try on the save and it either works or it doesn't work it's kind of there's not a lot of you know i have to check and saying make sure this is the right record i'm deleting and all that kind of stuff you, you know that kind of stuff just sort of happens autom- automatically right You know, when you delete a table row, you know, with the the slide to delete and it instantly translates over to the core data and the core data gets rid of the record, does all that sort of cleanup for you, you know?
0: Well, it sounds like there's a lot of like abstraction that will help you with like modeling that data. And then it also has, it sounds like threading is a big thing. As far as dealing with multi-threading, it does a better job with it than.
1: Well, that's a good question. I think that I think you'll probably be fine. People are probably yelling at their phones right now because I should say that core data by itself is not thread safe. Right. Okay. So, so I I mean, I'm just I'm literally reading that out of the book, right? Because there are ways to work with core data to make it thread safe, but but you really don't, you, you kind of sort of don't need to have, don't need to do that, right? So, because it kind of, right. it handles all that stuff on on its on its own. Um, I mean, things like updating tables and stuff like that, you want to make sure you're doing those, um, you know, main threads and stuff like that. But a lot of that kind of stuff is sort of managed for you. The data itself, the data management part of it is pretty seamless, right?
0: Right. That's where you get into, like, I, I'm trying to remember because it's been a while. You have multiple like managed, you have your managed object, you have your managed object, you have like an object manager, typically that's created like in your app delegate and things like that. Yeah. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know about a sponsor of our show, Revenue Cat. If you're doing anything with in-app purchases or subscriptions, you'll definitely want to check them out. Using Revenue Cat to power your in-app purchase infrastructure solves for edge cases that you don't even know you have. It also protects you from outages your team hasn't even seen yet, and it saves you time on future maintenance and features released by the app stores. Plus, it empowers your product and marketing teams with clean, reliable in-app purchase data so they can make better decisions to grow your app. All that is to say, Revenue Cat handles all the headaches of in-app purchases so you can get back to building your app. I highly recommend you check Revenue Cat out at revenuecat.com. Give it a try and see how it can empower your product and help it continue to grow. Thank you, RevenueCat, for sponsoring our show. So I wanted to jump back and talk a little bit more about how you're hooking up to CloudKit. So is there any like automatic way that you're hooking up your changes in CloudKit to Core Data and your changes to Cloud?
1: Yeah, I think automatic Core is Data co- to CloudKit. Yeah. Automagic is probably the good word for it. I'd have to crank open Xcode to see it specifically, but yeah, it is pretty straightforward. I mean, like you go into your, you know, you go into your info P list or you go into your, your main section of the, of the app where you define your, your capabilities and stuff like that. And, and you create a cloud kit entitlement and uh, you come up with uh, like a backward, you know, backward URL scheme uh, to, right, na- right. to name the record on, to name it, to name the database on, on cloud kit. And um and then you just it just uh, it, when you go to create a record, it sends it up to CloudKit and stores it in in that uh, that database you create by creating that name. And then you can log into the CloudKit dashboard. dashboard, yeah, dashboard thing on the web, and you can kind of go through. and It's a little tricky to navigate at first. Like I found as a, as a newbie, it was a little difficult to sort of find my way around to sort of find the records. But you yeah. can see the records, and you can actually create new records right on the CloudKit dashboard. And you can you know.
0: Right.
1: As long as you don't miss something, it, it doesn't tend to crash your app. But you know, like if you, like I've I've played around with it because I'm you know because of my PHP, my SQL experience, I'm I'm you know I'm not afraid of going and manipulating the database on in the cloud, as it were, and then having an update. Sorry, my dogs barking, but no, it's okay. <laughs> that's Mac, my dog. Nice. Yeah, you you can see the data, you can manipulate it, you can delete it right out right there on the on the cloud kit as well, right? So
0: yeah. So are you just using subscriptions to keep the data and like you're manually creating the entries in your core data when you get a subscription update? Is that how you're doing it?
1: Yeah, no, no. I mean, as I'm saying, that's, it's pretty much all seamless. As long as your, your, your scheme on your, your sort of the, the structure on the core data matches the scheme that's up in the cloud, then it's seamless. It's like pretty straightforward. Right. So and like I said, you can add a you can add like an ID field to it, like to to keep it. So it's what is that? What's that protocol we use in SwiftUI? Identifiable, I think it is, where you have to right, use right. ID, so that yeah. you
0: have an ID attached to it. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it it really is a really is not a lot of thinking involved, really, in terms of in terms of getting it set up, right?
0: I really like CloudKit, so I, I built Miskit because I wanted a way to pull. I basically use the CloudKit API, web API. And I can make calls from my server to CloudKit without like the CloudKit library, right?
1: Yeah. So you're doing it with this without cloud, without Core Data, like you're just doing a regular old app.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a web app and a watch app, and the watch app just uses CloudKit to let the web app know that there's a new watch, essentially. And then the um, web app right. uses the CloudKit API, and you could set up like an API key, and then make REST calls essentially to CloudKit to do all the stuff that you would typically do with the cloud kit, um, Swift API. So then I created this library because there's no cloud kit for server-side Swift and it's essentially like a way to run, call, talk to cloud kit on Linux basically is what I'm getting at. And like, you really, it was interesting because you really learn like the structure of cloud kit and then like how data is, is sent and like, it really breaks it down for you, how the fields work and things like that. Like I. I don't know how much more I want to do with CloudKit with with hard Twitch, which is the app, but I really would like to see like with with MissKit if I could start doing like subscriptions on the server, like server to server subscriptions and stuff like that. That would be pretty cool to be able to to figure that out because I think my only problem with CloudKit is more like on the business side, the fact that it's like really hard to transfer an app that uses CloudKit once it uses CloudKit. Like that's the biggest pain in the neck that I, I've talked to other developers and I'm like, yeah, that's the biggest drawback, honestly, is like that. Because if you do that, then it's like, great. Now Apple has like a half decent backend that you can start with.
1: Well, I mean, that's, that's it's funny that you say that because it's always sort of the the question is like, are you writing for Android? If you're writing for Android, then you might want to stick with just going as far as SQL on, on your app, right? Because then you can have a SQL instance on your your Android, it would match your, your, your iPhone app, right. right. Um,
0: or realm or like any of the other ones out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and actually I watched, watched something a really cool uh, tutorial where they were talking about um, mocking, you know, to test core data and you basically fake it. So it kind of, you know, if you abstract it away from, from being like, like, you know, the, the, the wise word on the street is don't put core data in your app delegate. In fact, I think, yeah, when you create a Swift UI app now, Apple doesn't even put it in because there is no app delegate anymore. Right. In a, in a you have like forward, the app you
0: know. the new app yeah. the protocol or strong. Yeah,
1: so so they make a persistent store or something or other persistent coordinator.swift file, and that's where they put all the core data stuff. Which is what you know. If you read the Ray like books, that's what they tell you to do is like build a core data stack a core Stack outside of your app delegate and put your stuff there right and and as long as you as long as you have the correct references to it, you can easily pull things in and out right so you know and if you're using m v v m it's all all good too right so in fact a lot of the the sort of tutorials I've seen on core data recently with swift ui specifically are are sort of a more m v v m kind of flow right?
0: So, yeah so how does that work with core data like hooking that up to MVVM? MVVM because it's so built around MVC and the view controller now.
1: Yeah, so your model basically is you know the Core Data does the model, right? And then um, you have a view model that does the sort of the translating back and forth between Core Data and your view, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you make change, you send that change in like at a button you know, action or something like that over to Core Data to take the data and you know do the the try, uh, core data save kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? And then you send back the information back if you want to, you know, reload the view. You basically do that by sending it back through that same sort of central view model, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, so it's it's it it actually translates pretty well with with core data and Swift UI apps.
0: Okay, are using like a notification because I know if you want to observe changes that are outside of like user interaction. You use like notification center for that, right? So, do you like use a publisher, or how do you do that?
1: Well, so there's this magic new bullet called Combine.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, do you use notification? Yeah, center? yeah.
1: No, no. It's Combine. It's all it's all straightforward. Combine. You have an you have an environment object, and you use your observables, you know, that kind of stuff. And and uh,
0: observables. Okay.
1: Yeah. So so and you 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 import Combine into into the flow, and then you basically have the beauty of you know SwiftUI with Combine. And core data as your data store, as your model, right? So, okay. So you know, so so you you have you model, and you have your uh, you have like you create a variable instance of your managed object context as an, in an environment variable, and. Mm-hmm. Presto of it it happens pretty ma- magically, right? So, there, like I said, there's been a few good uh, tutorials on it. Some of them, some of them don't go all the way. Like you know, they they kind of get as far as creating and updating, but they don't, or creating and deleting, but they don't really go into updating, which is sort of the, the challenging. That's the, probably the most challenging part of Core data is, is is updating a record you already created, right? right. So. But I mean, challenging. Like it's not challenging at all. Like it's challenging for for sort of a newbie or intermediate sort of person. But
0: it's challenging in a sense. It's hard to handhold. But it's like not hard once you've done it. I guess
1: once you've done one, you can basically and then you can use the copy pasta You know, paradigm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we like to call we call it copy pasta at work when we get a lot of you know people don't abstract things; they just copy what everybody else did and paste it in. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Copy pasta. <laughs> Yeah. But like I said, what, once you get the, like, and it's, it's as simple as, you know, you, you, you go, the, creating a new record is super simple in Cordelia, right. right? Creating an update is a little different because then, the, but then you can use that, you know, that unique identifier that we talked about, you know, to, to make sure you're deleting it just that record a you you to delete. Queer, yeah,
0: and then you're good to go.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's, a, you know, whatever at the, at the index kind of thing deal. Yep.
0: Right? Yeah. So, so they just announced WWDC yesterday, today. Yes, it did. Oh, I don't know. I'm losing track of time. It's still March of 2020, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's gonna be a lot of new stuff with Core Data? Like I feel like that's kind of the one blind spot where I think
1: I have to say that that, you know, everything I'm saying today, and I'm supposed to say this for for my my corporate job as well, that, that anything I say today is is my opinion only. It doesn't reflect any company I work for um that's all i can say but i can tell you having followed you know on more than just code we the other podcasts i work on we follow wwc quite quite regularly right and and uh you know we're we've been developing mark and i've been developing apple stuff you know for 10 or 10 or 11 12 years right so we've been to wwc we've seen the, the lotteries we've seen all the kind of ways you get in and out of it right and um Historically, this is the time of year when they make the announcement. And it's historically, it's always the first week of June, right? Last year was a bit different because of COVID. You know, we i think Apple was kind of i and I'm speculating here, but they must have had to sort of you Nashing know
0: your teeth trying to decide Do some backpedaling yeah. and
1: figure, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm but I mean, they did an amazing job. I mean, like I know, you know, I I've like been to it. WWC six times and and this was like probably the the best. You know, type of WWDC I could have taken. I mean, interesting. Okay. It was almost like the Netflix model, you know, because, you know, you got up in the morning and you had 20 things to choose from. Yeah, I like that. You know, it wasn't like you had to wait till 10 o'clock. Yeah, yeah.
0: And Serenity did those, like, uh, the uh, little summary videos every day. It was great. Yeah. Yeah,
1: those are great. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I liked it. I've never gone to WWDC, like, 2020. Like, I was like, this is the year I'm going to try to go. And even <laughs> And even if I don't get the lottery, I'll go to, like, some alternative conference that's in the area. And, of course, like, you know, the apocalypse hit. So, you know, I didn't end up going. But then I'm... I enjoyed it. I liked it. I think my wife was happy that I was around the last week of school, so
1: oh okay, okay, yeah, yeah well, i can tell you I can tell you so last year i booked i booked the week off I took the week off from work, and I you know said um And I told my boss, I'm focusing on, I mean, I can't go to, you know, I can't get permission to to do this. So I'm just going to book a week off and I'm going to, that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be watching videos all week. And so we did, we did actually some, some cool stuff. We did like zoom watch parties. So like, you know, I have a Slack channel for our, for our podcast. And, and so I, and I reached out to a few fans and a couple of colleagues I work with and, and we sat there, we agreed on, we looked at what videos were available that day and we agreed on which videos we would watch. You know, of course you've got latency with, with zoom and that kind of stuff. But, and you know, some people, some people were in California, some people were in, you know, Texas. I was in Toronto. I don't know if we had, we had, we had one guy from Berlin actually join us from one of the watch parties. And, uh, we all just, you know, started this video at the same time, and and you know, we just kind of, we kind of, you know, made comments in the Slack channel as we watched it. So it was kind of like we were sitting in the same room, even though we were halfway across the planet from each other. And that was a nice way to do it. But we decided, you know, we would decide, you know, which videos we wanted to watch, right? And and so as a committee, we kind of just sort of picked, picked and chose, and and off we went and watched them. And that was a great way to watch, great way to consume yeah, it. Yeah, I but agree. I gotta say, I, I can't lost, I've lost count now. I think I've been five times maybe six times you know I hate to tell you that but I've been so I've been to all sort of different flavors of WWDC I went when there was like not many people there you know uh, I mean there were 5,000 people there don't get me wrong but it was easier to get a ticket like I I think I got my ticket two weeks after they were announced kind of Mm -hmm. thing the first time I went right and now it's super lottery like you know you're super lucky to get in and you know at the corporate job we we would put in you know five or ten applications you know across the team and and some some years when none of us would get picked. Wow. Okay. You know, in some years, yeah, some years three or four of us would get picked, right? So it, it's kind of it, there's no there's no logic to it. I mean, people have all their conspiracy theories about the WWC lottery, you know. But but I think I think it is completely random because I've seen you know people on my team get you know selected who are just like not even the right person who should be even going, you know, mm-hmm.
0: like,
1: like an intern or or an owner or something like that, right? You know, so. That's interesting. But so let's, let's circle back to the to the discussion. We're probably going to have the same thing. I'm recording more than just code after this, too. We're probably going to have the same conversation. But
0: Hey, folks, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by AppFigures. Did you know that better ratings have a direct impact on improving your app's visibility and on driving downloads? Stronger ratings signal that an app has happy users. While there are other factors, app stores tend to float these results higher in search results. As more users find your app, they are also far more likely to download it when they see social proof. Learn when to ask for ratings, as well as other tips and best practices by signing up for AppFigure's weekly newsletter at appfigures.com slash newsletter. If you like what you see, head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. Listeners of the show, can get 30% off for the next three months. That's for both new and existing users using the code EMPOWER3030. Again, if you like what you see, both new and existing users can use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're an app developer and you want to reach that audience, you'll definitely want to check AppFigures out. Thank you, AppFigures, for sponsoring this show. Well, I just wanted to say that in the next episode, I'm going to have John uh, Wilker on from uh, 360 iDev. Oh, cool. So we're going to talk a little bit more about WWDC in the next episode. Organizing conferences uh, in 2021, which is a whole other topic. Well, he's
1: the man. That's my that's my second favorite conference. It probably is my favorite. I got to
0: submit some talks, is... so hopefully if we all get it. 360 in. iDev, yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to let the audience know about that. Yeah, did you did you talk last year on that? At 360, uh, talked the last two years. Yep, yeah, I talked about async when I was physically in Denver uh, in 2019, and then last year I talked about combine remotely. You were in so, Denver
1: in 2019.
0: Yep. Yeah. I, well, I think I was all there. a blur, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> John and I are good friends. Well, I I, actually, I help him out with his website with the three sixty eight website. So I've been I've been working with John for years. I went last year to the to the virtual conference. I thought that was really yeah. well yeah, done. Yeah, that was. Too. Yep. Really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. So,
0: so I was going to just covering core data, like one of the things that like the trend that I've been seeing and that I'm kind of thinking something will happen with core data this year is the Swiftiness of everything is like, there's been this momentum and we see like, we're getting rid of storyboards. We're getting rid of what else was there. Just anything that cannot be done in Swift is kind of slowly moving to Swift. So I'm kind of thinking And kind of hoping that like schemes, like all that schema data can be moved over to a Swift file and you could just model your stuff in Swift. There's one library I started looking at by John Estopia called core store, where you can do your whole schema in Swift. And that's pretty awesome. I I like playing around with that. I was playing around with core data, building like a podcasting app for the watch and uh, that, that was fun. Just being able to like do my entire scheme in Swift, similar to how I do like, you know, I do a lot of like server-side Swift stuff and like you can model your database uh, for Postgres like in a Swift file. And it's nice to be able to do kind of the same thing with Core Data with his library. Yeah,
1: it, it's kind of cool. I, I mean, I was going to circle back on on the, uh, you know, how the transition from, I mean, you know, 2020, was it, 2014, they announced Swift. And, you know, we've been looking at a lot of Objective-C stuff that still comes out and there's still a lot of objects to see it out oh yeah for sure if you look at the look at look at the work right look at a lot of frameworks and and it's taken time i mean like you know they you know they they did all the big the big heavy hitters like file manager uh, user defaults that kind of stuff all those have have sort of a swift version now um and they're you know like they're dropped the ns and make, make it a lot easier to use um and i think that this year because of last couple of years I guess. Because of Catalyst and because of uh because of Swift UI we're seeing more uh more capability on the Mac side to write Mac apps, oh, right? For sure,
0: so yeah. Well and Apple Silicon is the big one too.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other another tangent but um but coming back to the mac is is so apple just released a couple of really cool tutorials uh, i don't know if you've looked at them or not and actually ray wonder like just re re updated updated their swift ui book which i started going through uh i, I immediately jumped to the to the mac chapter chapter 20 is on on the mac mac building mac app right and which is kind of good so it's it's really nice to sort of see you know how you go how you get away from ipad paradigms and move into mac paradigms and and how so it's so simple to make a you know preference screen in for a mac app it's so simple to make a menu item for a mac app using swift ui it's it's like stupid simple Mm, yeah and then my favorite thing my favorite discovery is this thing called app store i think it's ap store you know it's a it's a property wrapper right Oh no, app storage it's called this
0: app storage yeah basically it uses user defaults for like where your last position of your window is and stuff like that. Right.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, you know, like it's, it's, and it's super simple. Like, like it's almost like a one liner, you know, or as user defaults is, you know, depending on, on how how you're writing, it could be, could be several ways you're, you're going to create the record and then you're going to read the value at, at, you know, for
0: me, the thing that like I've started to actually like is the file importer, file exporter stuff for document based apps. And uh, what is it called when you have like a file entity, but it's not the actual file entity. I can't think of what it is when you do sandboxing file wrapper. Uh, I like it. Like now it's like, okay, now I get it. Cause I'm starting to, I'm working on like building, um, taking my app speculate and being able to build like full sets of app icons and stuff with it and be able to store all that metadata in like a folder. Uh, like a package as they call it and I'm figuring that stuff out and using file wrapper for it. It's like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like this actually is like helpful to me now that I've wrapped my head around how that stuff works and sandboxing and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't,
1: I haven't, I haven't gone down the path of, of sandbox. I mean, I initially chose core data back in, in, uh, you know, tiger, I think it was 10 point or 10.5. Uh, yeah, that was tiger. And, um, I chose Core Data because I fully intended to make a Mac app to go with my Device Tracker iOS app, right? But now I'm at a point where you know, using SwiftUI, Core Data, and 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 this magic CloudKit stuff, I can totally do a version of, or either either refactor the Device Tracker to use SwiftUI and combine and Core Data, and possibly even even CloudKit, because we looked at we looked at iCloud a couple of years ago, you know, because they had that sort of I Data in the cloud mm. kind of yeah. thing, and it was you know it got a really bad, bad rap from people. But yeah, I just remember people saying, don't do that. Right. When I started, I actually had a Mac account and an iOS account. Like you had to have two separate accounts to build, you know, for both platforms. Right. And then they got, you know, merged those together. So, so yeah, we're now at a point with SwiftUI. I mean, I'm loving SwiftUI from the point of view of, of it, it abstracts tons of stuff away from, from what you need to know. And, and, you know, I've always joked with the guys on the show that uh, you know one day Adobe is going to come out with iPhone Creator 1.0, and then you know it'll be you know be dragging and dropping your core data instances and stuff like that, right? And uh, <laughs> I mean they did that with Dreamweaver and a few other things, right? Like they they kind of took web and they made it they made it possible for a designer to be a webmaster, right? And I see that I see that sort of the future, and I think that Swift UI is pretty close to that, right? Like in terms of
0: I mean you've got live previews, right? That's kind of the yeah. the gold standard.
1: And you can design in those live previews. Those, you know, those live and people don't really know. I mean, we don't really see many tutorials on it, and and it, maybe it's because of the speed of the machines or whatever. But you can drag a button right onto the, onto the the live preview, and you can you know manipulate it and change the color of it and modify it, and and when as you do that, it creates the code.
0: Yeah, the thing that I've found is like the modifiers. The modifiers are super helpful because it's like, I don't even know what's out there. And it's like, it's like, until I actually click on the button and see, oh, these are the 50 different ways I can change this button. It's like, oh, you know, then it like, that's where drag and drop is like actually helpful. It's like the autocomplete, right? It's like giving you, letting you know what's available to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's from, from that point of view, like that, that's the, that's the future I envisioned was, was, you know, some sort of UI that would write the code for you. Right. Which is, which is where we are. Right. So. Yeah,
0: Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to ask. So, how many podcasts are you doing right now?
1: Oh my God! Well, so we're doing like one or two episodes a month on more than just code. Uh, we used to do it every week, um, but because I was editing, you know, I needed you know needed eight hours to edit the show kind of thing, right? And I don't have that time. But um, so I'm on a podcast with Tammy called Hero's Journey, which is uh, run out of the po- Pragmatic prog- Pragmatic Programmer group, you know, pragbrog.com.
0: Yeah, we had Tammy on doing game dev stuff. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, so we do that one together. And um and it's we're using the same sort of formula we had for Roundabout. You know, we have a we have a, a writer on, and we talk about, you know, they most of them are developers who who've written books kind of thing, right? And That's so we're, awesome. we're having them on to talk about becoming a writer, you know, and you know, learning, taking their skill and and turning it into a book, right? So see so that one i do spot cast which is a sci-fi podcast so we we do we follow we started following discovery when it first came out i think season three season four is coming soon and we talk you know we we dissect each show jaime lopez from more than just quotas on that and my my stepson jonathan's on there jonathan's a huge comic book nerd he used to do used to game reviews and used to be writer for the toronto star here in in toronto right and um So he's like super knowledgeable on sci-fi and comic books and he's read, he's been collecting comic books since before I knew him. Right. So, you know, so he's got like, you know, 50, 60,000 titles, you know, that he's, he's read. He's read everything about Superman and Spider-Man and, you know, X-Men and whatever. So, you know, when you, when we watch things like WandaVision or, or, you know, the Winter Soldier
0: so, you talk about every episode as it comes out more?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the plan. So, we started with, we started with Discovery, went to Picard, uh, then we did the Lower Decks uh, show, the cartoon that came out. And now, and occasionally we'll do things like we'll jump in, and we'll do like, uh, we did the, the last two Avenger movies, we did a special episode on those. So, we just did an episode on the, you know, the Justice League Snyder Cut. And uh, yeah, so we almost we almost did four hours worth of podcasting for that one. I cut it down to two and a half, but it was, I think we had three hours <laughs> of them just gabbing about this, you know. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been slowly trying to finish TNG, and I've been watching the MCU with the right. kids. So I think hopefully we'll be done with those two pretty soon. I wanted to ask, since you've been doing podcasting for yeah. so long, so this is my episode eighty-seven. That means I'm nipping at the heels of episode 100. Right. What like I need some ideas what I should do for my 100th episode.
1: Well, I'll tell you what we used to do is uh, we used to have, um, like we'd have, we had three main hosts and occasionally one of them couldn't make it because of an obligations. obligation. So we started having guest hosts. So Tammy was a guest host. Greg Hill was a guest host before he went and joined the, the fruit company in California. And we've had Maren Todorov on as a guest host, uh, and we've had Alexis Gallagher as a guest host. We've had like, you know, we even had some of our fans on who came on and became, became guest hosts, right? What we do on big occasions is we we tend to get uh, a larger group of people to get together. So when we do a WWDC review, we'll get as many developers as we can, and we have like sort of round April discussions about, you know, what was announced at, at the keynote, what was announced at the that's platform state of the union, you know, and kind of what, you know, what you're looking forward to or what do you think of it? Like, you know, when Swift UI hit, we kind of, what happened, you know, kind of show. Right. Um, and then, um, with, uh, with, so, so, you know, I might recommend we did that with, with Tammy's hundred episode for roundabout. She had all of her former hosts on, including myself. Right. So, you know, her mother was a host. She's had four or five different hosts on that show. Right. So, so we all we all got together and had like one big happy whatever. Um, I don't know if you've ever listened to her show. We used to do the thirteen chaos questions where we ask, you know, what's your favorite color and all that kind of stuff, right? And get you know sort of asked. So we we had her do the questions, <laughs> kicking and screaming, right? Nice. And sometimes, like you know, if we're if we're at a conference together, like uh, Joe Chaplinski from from Release Notes and uh, Gene McDonald, who's been on a number of pod- podcasts we often end up at like 360 iDev and we'll do like a live show. So we did one, we did one live episode with uh, John Milker was one of the, one of the on the chair and Tammy was there and Joe and Jean. And we, we, you know, we just sort of have, you just make it a special sort of, you know, thing, special event kind of thing. Right. That would mm-hmm. be, I think that would be yeah. what I would do is maybe get your, your other, you used to have a co host on the other show, right? Yeah. I him, yeah. him come by, you know, maybe pick a few people. I'm sure you could probably get like a, a Paul Hudson and a John Sundell and, you know, to join you and, 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 you know, make an event out of it.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: So I, I'll tell you what I did do though. So I wasn't sure when we went to, when I went to 2019 WWC, I wasn't sure if I, if we were going to be able to get into the podcast booth. So they have a podcast booth that Apple sets up and you have to book it in advance and, and it was all, you know, I couldn't get into like Thursday. So I was really worried. So I had bought a microphone that I plugged into my, like a road mic that plugged into my, uh, into my phone. Okay. And I just, as as soon as I ran into somebody at WWC that I, that I knew, I said, Hey, would can I ask you some questions about the conference? Right. So I fired up the thing and I made like a live man on the street episode. I had Kylo Loco on it. it That's had nice. had on it. You know, had Drew from uh, had Drew from Ray Wonderlike podcast. I had a bunch of writers from Ray Wonderlike uh, that I ran into. Friends of mine, Mark was there. You know, uh, and we met one of the, like I said, we met one of the co one of the guys who came on the actual show, and we were in the podcast booth, and you know, just sort of like different ideas of what you can do to sort of make a special events. So we have we have a special live on Man on the Street you know, discussion with developers, and it's one of our most popular shows, right? So mm-hmm.
0: and
1: the reruns, right?
0: Yeah. If only we had live events like where I'd have where there's. If only men were actually on the street.
1: Well, I mean, you can totally. I mean, like this is the year to do it through Zoom. I mean, like like have a big and you're doing this this
0: which we are doing. Well, this is
1: your premier video attempt, right? So, you know, this is yeah. You notice? You notice? I've I've set the stage here with my you know my junk in my basement to you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't even have my great my green screen. I gotta get that set up. I gotta record some conference videos pretty soon. So.
1: Yeah, I do have a green screen, but my basin's pretty small. It takes up a lot of room, right? So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tim, for coming on. Yeah, no worries. Uh, where can people find you?
1: Um, you can find me. Twitter is probably the best place. Uh, I'm T I M M I T R A on Twitter, is where, I, where you'll find me, right? And uh, of course, I, you know, more than just code podcasts, um, heroes journey podcasts. And yeah, just Twitter's probably the best place.
0: Yeah. And we'll pull links to. All the podcasts you're on, uh, <laughs> all the episodes we've mentioned today. Uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me.
0: People can find me on Twitter at LeoGDN. My company is Bright Digit. Please take some time to subscribe to the YouTube channel or subscribe to uh, the podcast, even if it's Apple Podcast or using Overcast or. Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, and give us a good review. And if you have any questions or anything else, you can reach me on Twitter as well. Thank you again. And we look forward to talking to you in the next episode.